0: Hello, everybody, and welcome in. Thanks for listening to Fantasy Breakout, where you can get the best information on players, stats, and storylines. I'm your host, Austin Cunningham, and I'll take you through everything you need to know to break away from the rest of your league. In this episode, we are going to have three segments to help you, no matter if you are looking forward to next year's fantasy season, looking to up your fantasy game, or even just anxious for more football insight. As we head into the postseason, we will focus on this season's results and which player's stock is trending up and whose stock is trending down. I will also take you through a playoff preview as the race to Super Bowl 57 is set to begin. Our third segment throughout the offseason will focus on an area that you can improve in order to get a leg up on your competition. Over the next few weeks, we will be focusing on what is important when analyzing matchups and how much weight to put into them. With the postseason starting, it is important to look back on last year's results and see what you can learn from them. It doesn't matter if it's strategy-related, like targeting kickers that are playing in a dome, or whether it's reviewing players' performances and figuring out what direction their fantasy stock is trending going into next year. For this segment of the show, I'm going to focus on three players who I think are trending up and three who are trending down. I'm going to try to avoid some of the obvious risers, like rookie sensation Puka Nakua, or draft busts like Desmond Ritter, and try to look a little bit deeper into what is making some players trend upwards versus downwards. The players that are trending upwards that I want to focus on in today's episode are Michael Pittman, Isaiah Pacheco, and Jordan Love. Let's dive into what puts these players into the sleeper category, starting with Michael Pittman. 2023 is Pittman's fourth season with the Colts, as he was outstanding this year, catching 109 balls on 156 targets, racking up 1,157 receiving yards and four touchdowns. This year, Pittman showed he is capable of being a number one wide receiver, no matter what quarterback he is catching passes from. He showed a connection with rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson before Richardson got knocked out of this for the season in week five with a shoulder injury. With Gardner Minshew stepping in, Pittman still had an amazing fantasy season, while averaging 15.6 PPR points per game. Pittman is going into his fifth year in Indy, but I think he has a strong chance of staying with the Colts, which makes him a stable and upside-filled player heading into next year. Next up, we have Kansas City Chiefs running back Isaiah Pacheco, who had a breakout in his second year with the Chiefs. There are a few reasons that I think Pacheco seems like such a sleeper going into next year. The first reason is his workload. Despite the Chiefs being a more pass-heavy offense over the past few years, Pacheco has demanded opportunities and has been really efficient with them, averaging 4.9 yards per carry. This year, he got 205 carries, racked up 935 rushing yards, and 7 rushing TDs. For any of you out there that have not seen Pacheco run, go and watch the highlights because the way he runs, you would think he's mad at the ground. Not only is he a super aggressive runner, but also a Really quick and has great awareness and vision. The second reason why I think Pacheco is a great fantasy player going into next year is because of his receiving work. He had 44 receptions for 244 yards and two TDs. When you look at season finishes at the running back position, your best finishers consist of mostly pass catching running backs. Pacheco is also part of an elite offense run by Andy Reid, who is probably one of the best play callers of all time, as well as Superstar QB and Patrick Mahomes. Definitely look for Pacheco in drafts next year. That brings us to Packers QB Jordan Love. After trading Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, the Packers came into the season wanting to see what they had in Jordan Love, and boy did he deliver. He completed 64.2% of his passes for 4,159 yards and 32 TDs to 11 interceptions. Look, it's important to remember that the Packers aren't committed to Jordan Love long term, but if he continues to play at this level, then that shouldn't be a problem. Love has a really good team built around him with a group of young, talented wide receivers, and Romeo Dobbs, rookie Donatavian Wicks, and Christian Watson. If his wide receivers take another step forward next year, there's a lot of upside for Jordan Love. The Packers have done a stellar job building around Love, while also not completely committing to him in order to see what he could do. Going into next year, I would look to commit to Jordan Love on your fantasy teams. Well, unfortunately, there is also bad to go with the good. We all know that some players can't keep up a high level forever or have a situation change that might lead to lower fantasy production. The three players that could be trending towards being a bust next year that I would like to focus on are Travis Kelsey, Austin Eckler, and Tyler Lockett. Let's get into the potential busts starting with Travis Kelsey. As fantasy football players, we have become used to Travis Kelsey always being a first-round pick in drafts and the leader at the tight end position. Despite Taylor Swift cheering him on, Kelsey had fewer catches this year than in the past six years, as well as missing 1,000 yards receiving for the first time in seven years. Kelsey is probably the player that I'm least worried about in the potential bust list, because he was still very good, especially for the tight end position. He also has a superstar quarterback, Hall of Fame play caller, and as soon as the Chiefs get some real wide receivers to help Mahomes, it should take more pressure off Kelsey. Nevertheless, he is continuing to get older and has some red flags going into next year. I'm not saying don't draft Travis Kelsey, he is still a top-tier fantasy tight end, but don't use a first or second-round pick on him in this stage of his career. Oh boy, this, this one pains me. As much as I love Austin Eckler and hate seeing him in this part of the segment, this year was an absolute disaster for him. Eckler and the Chargers were at odds all offseason because of contract negotiations. In the end, the Chargers bet against Eckler by not giving him an extension, and they were proven right. Eckler only averaged 3.5 yards per carry and 179 carries. Not only was he inefficient on his 230 total touches, but he also looked much worse on the field. Whether Eckler has hit the running back age cliff or was dealing with an ankle injury all season he was a major disappointment after getting drafted in fantasy drafts as the second running back taken. Trust me, I would know after having him in multiple leagues. He also will become a free agent in the offseason and could end up on any number of teams. No matter what team he ends up signing with, I would try to stay away from Austin Eckler next year. Finally, we have another fan favorite in Seattle Seahawks wide receiver, Tyler Lockett. Despite missing 1,000 yards receiving, Lockett still had a decent year with 79 catches for 894 yards and 5 TDs. Lockett has been amazing for the past couple of years and has always seemed to find a way to finish in the top 15 at the position. But he has a couple of warning signs going forward. Not only will he be 32 next season, but he was also dealt the massive blow of losing Pete Carroll as head coach this week. Carroll has been and arguably still is one of the best coaches in the league. Despite being a defensive coach, losing his leadership and coaching experience might affect veterans like quarterback Geno Smith and Tyler Lockett in a negative way. On top of that, Lockett also has to deal with up-and-coming wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba. Smith and Jigba is already looking like a threat to Lockett's production, and if the Seahawks hire an offensive-minded head coach who brings in a new offense with him, then Lockett could take a backseat to other talented offensive players like Metcalf, Smith and Jigba, and Kenneth Walker. I still think Lockett will remain a good wide receiver 3 slash flex option next year, but you can no longer count on him in fantasy, like he still has wide receiver 20 upside. Now that the regular season has wrapped up, the moment we have all been waiting for can begin. The playoffs are here. As fun as fantasy football can be, I know that I'm definitely looking forward to sitting back and watching the best teams go head to head without the stakes of needing your fantasy players to score a certain number of points. Despite the playoffs not counting in the fantasy football season, they are still important for the outlook of players and coaches, as well as a whole lot of fun for fans like me that can never get enough football. So, before we get into part one of analyzing matchups, I'm going to walk you through everything you need to know in order to be ready for wildcard weekend. Let's start in the AFC. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are the one seed and got the first round bye. You won't be seeing them in wildcard weekend, but their defense, leading the league in sacks and turnover differential, along with allowing the six fewest yards per game in the league, paired with the dynamic Ravens offense, could very well be the team to beat. Don't forget about them. Our first AFC wildcard game will be Houston as the fourth-seeded Texans take on the fifth-seeded Browns. If somebody told me that one of the wild card round matchups was between the Texans, led by rookie quarterback CJ Stroud, and the Browns, led by quarterback Joe Flacco, who came off the couch midseason to lead the Browns to the playoff, I don't think I would have ever believed you. Texans head coach D'Amico Ryans has done a great job in his first year head coaching in Houston, and rookies CJ Stroud, Tank Dell, and Will Anderson Jr. have all been playing at a crazy high level, with CJ Stroud also the favorite to be rookie of the year. On the other side of the matchup, you have arguably one of the best storylines of the year in Joe Flacco. After losing quarterback Deshaun Watson and rookie Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the Browns signed Joe Flacco. Flacco has played amazing in the Cleveland defense is in the conversation for the best defense in the league. This should be an amazing game that is definitely up for grabs. For the next AFC matchup, we have third-seeded Chiefs versus the sixth-seeded Dolphins. The Chiefs came into the playoffs at 11-6, and six, but despite the record, this has been one of the worst seasons for them since drafting Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes has struggled largely due to the fact that the Chiefs have neglected to give him any effective weapons at the wide receiver position. Their success this season has been because of their defense has been one of the best as it has been in years. The Dolphins offense has been a firework show throughout the season, and they are leading the league in yards per game. Tua and Tyreek Hill have been an unstoppable connection this year, with Hill racking up 1,799 yards. Their defense has been solid, but losing Bradley Chubb is a big blow. Going into Arrowhead is always a tough task, but the Dolphins have a roster loaded with talent and are very well coached by Mike McDaniel. Andy Reid and Mahomes always find a way to come out on top, but that will be put to the test with a difficult matchup in round one. The last time these teams played each other was in Germany, where the Chiefs pulled out a win 21-14. The last matchup on the AFC side of the playoff bracket is the second-seeded Bills versus the seventh-seeded Steelers. What a season for the Bills. They went from looking like they could miss the playoffs to beating the Dolphins in Week 18, winning the AFC East, and finishing the regular season with an 11-6 record. Josh Allen has seemed to put the start of the season behind him and has started to get the offense clicking again. The Bills' defense has also been outstanding, only allowing 18.3 points per game to opposing offenses. The Steelers come into the game at 10-7 with Mason Rudolph as their starting quarterback, along with missing their superstar pass rusher with T.J. Watt out with a knee injury. The offense has been struggling throughout the year, and Rudolph doesn't exactly inspire confidence in a big game offensively for the Steelers. The Steelers' defense also hasn't been very effective this year and will only get worse without Watt. I could see this being the biggest blowout this weekend. Mike Tomlin always finds a way to get his team into the playoffs, but the Steelers are outmatched going up against the Bills. Now, for the NFC. The 49ers are the number one seed in the NFC this year, and we'll get to go straight through to the divisional round. Don't forget about this team that is loaded with talent at nearly every position on both sides of the ball, and as long as they are fully healthy, they remain the team to beat in the NFC. Now, the first game slated to take place in the NFC is the second-seeded Cowboys versus the seventh-seeded Packers. Even though it it looked improbable for the Cowboys to win the NFC East for most of the season, they pulled it off thanks to a late-season collapse by the Eagles. Thanks to getting the two seed, the Cowboys now have at least two guaranteed home playoff games should they advance. This is important because they average 37.3 points per game at home and have won 16 straight home games over the past two seasons. Dak Prescott is having an MVP type of season, and that is showing in the production of the offense, especially C.D. Lamb not to mention one of the best defenses in the league led by Micah Parsons and a season-leading nine interceptions from Duran Bland. The Packers had to claw their way into the playoffs at 9-8, and eight, but have had a surprising year full of ups and downs. Jordan Love has been better than expected and has thrown more touchdown passes this season than every other quarterback except for Prescott. Fun fact, this will actually be the first year in NFL history that the top two quarterbacks leading the league in touchdowns thrown will play each other. In a playoff game. Now the Packers defense has been middle of the pack throughout the year, and same as for the Bills and the Steelers matchup, I believe that the Packers are outmatched playing a team that is unstoppable in home games. The second wild card matchup in the NFC has the third seeded Lions taking on the sixth seeded Rams. There is way too much to get into into this game, but first let's just say it: the Jared Goff versus Matthew Stafford trade revenge game. This will also be a game loaded with offensive superstars, with Jameer Gibbs, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Sam Laporta on the Lions side, and Kyron Williams, Cooper Cup, and Puka Nakua on the Rams side. Even though the game is in Detroit, it could very well go to either team. This game definitely has the potential to turn into a shootout. Who will you take? Goff and the Lions, inspired after their first division title since 1993, or Stafford, McVay, and the Rams, who are trying to fight their way back to the Super Bowl? The last game of both the NFC playoffs and the wildcard weekend takes place in Tampa Bay where the four-seeded Buccaneers take on the fifth-seeded Eagles. The Buccaneers somehow won the NFC South with a 9-8 record and have exceeded expectations this year. Baker Mayfield has played at a really solid level throughout the season and has really been on the same page as Mike Evans all year. Rashad White has also been playing some good football and has been a big part of what the Buccaneers do on offense. The Buccaneers' D may have a lot of sacks, but allow the 4th most yards per game to opposing offenses. The Eagles are a hard team to analyze coming into the playoffs. After a 10-1 start to the season, the Eagles have lost 5 out of their last 6 games. We all know what they are capable of, which is having one of the best offenses in the league and playing at a Super Bowl caliber level. Maybe it was losing both their offensive and defensive coordinators in the offseason to head coaching jobs, but they look rattled on offense, and downright bad on defense throughout the home stretch of the season. With all that being said, though, the Eagles still are favorites to win this game because they are still a high-level football team and are always a tough out. The Buccaneers may just be able to pull off an upset here. There are many possible outcomes for this game, many of which may surprise fans across the NFL. Now, the last segment of each episode is going to be geared towards things you can learn in order to become a better fantasy player so that you can gain an edge on your league mates. I think it's important to know what are the biggest factors in determining what matchups to target and what matchups to avoid. When I look at matchups, I look for three things. Is it a home or an away game? Is it in a dome or an outdoor stadium? And how many points per game are defenses giving up to the position you're trying to analyze? Over the next few episodes, we will break down how domes affect matchups and defensive points allowed to the position. But for this episode, I will be focusing directly on the effect of home field advantage, especially on the quarterback position. Look, the idea of home field advantage has been a bit of a debated topic over the years, but this year's stats have shown that it does have an effect on the quarterback position. We all know about quarterbacks like Jared Goff and how much better he has played at home games throughout his career, or how Dak and the Cowboys have lit up the scoreboard and been unstoppable this year when at AT AT&T Stadium. But you might be surprised that can actually be quite the difference in fantasy production when playing at home versus away. I took nine quarterbacks and averaged their fantasy points per game at home compared to points per game away. You might think that these stats could be affected by a quarterback's rushing ability, but that is not the case. The nine quarterbacks that I statted out include Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, Tua Tagovailoa, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Justin Fields, Dak Prescott, Jordan Love, and Patrick Mahomes. I chose these nine because they all played a complete or mostly complete season and have various rushing outputs. Goff, Stafford, and Tagovailoa combined 160 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. That put them in the low rushing group. Prescott, Love, and Mahomes were in the medium rushing group with a combined 878 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns. Finally, Jackson, Allen, and Fields landed in the highest rushing group with a combined 2,002 rushing yards and 24 rushing touchdowns. But despite their differing game styles and rushing outputs, Goff, Prescott, Jackson, Tagovailoa, Fields, and Mahomes all had a significant difference in their points per game when playing at home. If you take their point differentials from their points per game at home games compared to away games and average them out, They averaged 6.95 more fantasy points per game when playing at home. Stafford and Allen, their point differentials were nearly the same between home and away games, and Love actually had more points per game when playing away, but I think these guys are outliers and had an outlier season. In fantasy, every point counts, so next time you are tilting over a close start-sit decision, remember that often home field advantage can give your QB that extra boost in his fantasy production for your team that week. That will do it for this week's episode. Thanks for joining The Breakout, and don't forget to support the podcast wherever you may be listening in. I'll catch you next week to break down Wild Card Weekend, analyze player performances from this season, and have part two on what to look at when taking matchups into account for your weekly start-sit decisions. Thanks for listening in. I'll catch you in the next episode.